Welcome to the second season of Actors You Are Enough. I am your host, Amy Linden. I'm also an actor just like you, with over 120 IMDb credits that consist of acting and directing. I am your mentor. I am your biggest cheerleader. I am your Russian skating coach of the acting world. I've coached over... I don't know, a million actors all over the globe over the last 29 years. Right now I have 56 network series regulars, an Emmy winner, an Imogen winner. And if you listen to me, that might be you too. Or maybe you just want to work. Join me every week for industry gems, acting advice, and tips on how to be a more confident actor and human being. Whether you're just starting out actors or you have credits under your belt, this podcast will empower you because you are enough. How are you? I'm excited and looking forward to our chat. You know, I'm just really excited to speak with you today because you're a giant in this industry and you should feel so proud of your accomplishments. Seriously. I, I do very much, and, and uh, one of the things that's been really fun and interesting, you know, you you, you pour your heart out, you do something uh, for a long time, and then you write about it, and you don't know if anybody's going to give a rat's ass, and, and it, it turns out that people seem to care, and, and the book is having some impact, which, uh, it, you know, obviously I knew that some of the shows I've been involved with were big hits, but uh, you know, when you use words like legendary and all that kind of talk, it's kind of humbling and at the same time, kind of thrilling. Oh, no doubt. Um, This is the book that John's talking about, um, Right for the Role. Uh, You can get it on um, Amazon. Where else can they get it? Uh, Barnes and Noble in Studio City has a couple of autographed copies. Oh, one of, them in, one of them's in the window, and they can order it uh, as well. Uh, and but uh, and and you can follow me on Instagram to see if I'm doing a live signing event somewhere. I've done several of those, and uh, that way uh, Jeff Bezos doesn't get all the money. No kidding about that. It's yeah, think how much percentage that they take. It's just ridiculous. So, um. You're a deep person, so we're going to talk about deep stuff. And that's what I got from the book, and that's what I got from your history, is that you're a deep person. Um, the You talked about the the actor that you find um, that is your taste, is somebody with charisma, electricity, attractiveness, sexuality, intelligence, humor, humanity, life force, and good manners. I mean, you could have all that, but if you're a crappy person, nobody's <laughs> with you, right? <laughs> right. So the good manners thing is big. Um, have you been watching? Have you watched Yellowstone? I haven't. You know, I, I'm sort of on a, a a moratorium of watching television. I'm reading these days. 
Oh, uh, in, nice. Instead of watching television, although I did watch all of every second of Top Chef. Because oh, yes, I, I, yes. Because I love food and I have been in love with Padma for uh, decades. Yeah, she's she's just incredible. Um, I watch all of those as well. They're, it's very exciting, actually. I'm not a chef, but it's really great to see what they're doing. Um, but I want to talk about the network. Uh, Kelly Riley is uh, tremendous in Yellowstone. She plays Beth Dutton. And uh, and the network executive said that she was, that she they weren't sure that women were going to relate to her. As it turns out, it's because of her that women keep coming back to the show. Um, you pushed for Sean Hattasi. Is that how you say his last name? Hattasi. Hattasi. He started out um, on ER as a guest star and then all the way through Southland and you kept casting him over and over. If the networks were having a problem with him for Animal Kingdom, if you've, since you've done um, upwards of like, I would say 500 to some, maybe more episodes as a casting director, don't you think that the network should start listening to the casting directors that have done that many proven episodes? Rather you're trying than to get, you're trying to get me buried six feet deep. Well, um, I just want to, I don't want to talk about politics, but I want to talk about no, no. can we get them to understand the what the people want? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I agree with you conceptually that uh, when John Wells uh, or a producer of his stature says that this is who they want, uh, that should be enough. And John and I together have done, along with many other people, have done some work that's been historic. And I, I think that that gives us, uh, uh, or ought to give us, not carte blanche, because everyone can be wrong, but uh, uh, certainly uh, a leg up in the conversation about who is and who isn't provable. You know, uh, I think, you know, now that everything is on video or digital upload or whatever the hell it is, um, the networks all have casting departments that, um, you know, have to earn their, their keep. And so they, they now approve every part or don't. And, and, um, to me, that that you know, let me tell you a little story. We were doing a pilot at uh, at Fox, and uh, a very nice man who was the executive there. I like him a lot. I really am fond of him. Uh, he said at some point that a one line emergency medical technician who was in a scene for a quarter of a second, or maybe a half a second, wasn't approved. And I actually lost my stuff, and I said, you know. I have cast more one-line emergency medical technicians than everybody else on the planet Earth combined. Uh, uh, and he won't be on camera for longer than it takes you to blink your eye. Uh, the scene is about the other person who's the series regular. And, and eventually that person got approved. But sometimes when you argue too passionately or too vociferously or if the Bronx in your background comes out uh, and you maybe say a nasty word or 12, uh, you can get in a lot of trouble 
in this political climate that we're in today. Yes. And I have I have had my share of that because I have felt empowered by our success and to, to express our point of view um, forcefully. And, and uh, you can't do that anymore. And it's kind of a shame. Passion, um, as long as it isn't, uh, you know, rude and horrible, passion is an important part of what separates us from lawyers and doctors and uh, uh, insurance salesmen and other professions. I completely agree with you. Uh, why did they have such a problem with Sean since he was already a proven commodity? Uh, he was the star of South. It wasn't so much that they had a problem with Sean as they they wanted, you know, we had Speedman and, and we had Ellen uh, and, and they wanted one more kind of sexy name. And Sean is a great, great actor. I, and a yeah, I totally get it. He's not a sexy name. But he's, yeah. but he's, and but so the, who else? the reason, the who reason else? they made us wait to, to really talk about Sean was that they had a lot of ideas of sexy names, uh, none of whom wanted to do it. We're grateful for that because Sean ended up, you know, with, with, with both of Ellen and Scott leaving the show at one time or another. Um, Sean became number one on the call sheet and was really the glue and the watchability and the crazy the spirit of animal kingdom was in his character not because, alone but because he has chops he yeah. has chops he handled it he handled every single aspect of that role that not a lot of actors can handle you're, you're absolutely right it's, it was a, a a very hard job really he hard did job. he did it great Effortlessly, and you well, cast him. You cast him. I bet he would. I bet he wouldn't say it was effortless. No, uh, but no, but he made it. it he made it look effortless, and that's yeah. a good actor. Yeah, it's, I agree. You know, uh, I'm a I'm a coach. I've had my school for 28 years, and of uh, the people that have done really, really well, they have worked really hard to make their work look effortless, like yeah. like a like a gold skater. Yeah, well, I, I agree. You know, I always say that, you know, if someone says after you take a test, how was it? Well, you know, was it hard? And if you knew the answers, it wasn't hard. <laughs> and, and you know, if you're prepared and talented and know how to access parts of yourself that are relevant to the circumstances of the character, it isn't hard. It's not hard to make it look easy because if you're, prepared, talented, you know, trained. Uh, uh, it isn't that hard. No, it shouldn't be. You should just jump, go, and see what happens. And, yeah, exactly. and just fly and see what happens. Um, I want to talk to you about the essence of character, um, Dana Delaney versus Helen Hunt. Um, years ago, I wrote a movie called Odessa. And um, Yolanda King, the great Yolanda King, uh, Dr. King's daughter came in and the character already had an, a pain that was already inherent in the character. And then this other woman came in of which she looked like how I wrote the role, but Yolanda got it because of her essence and her inherent pain and the character. You can't play that. It just is. 
Yeah, so I, I let's agree. talk about Dana Delaney versus Helen Hunt. Well, they're both immensely talented. Helen has had a remarkable career in, in movies and elsewhere. I knew her dad when I was at the Taper in 1980. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you know, this is not a, this isn't one person's great and the other person. No, no, wasn't no, no. Great. no. I'm talking about right. this because people, actors, need to know that yes, you think you could play everything. But when push comes to shove, at the final final, it's going to be the essence of character that's going to win. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, in World War II, the average age of a soldier or a sailor or whatever was uh, more than 27 years old. And in Vietnam, the average age of a soldier or sailor or Marine or whatever was just over 19 years and try to imagine how different you were between 19 and 27 uh, in terms of your maturity and your decision-making and your ability to handle things. And I always said that Dana got that job and was wonderful in that job because if I was a 19-year-old boy 10,000 miles away from my mom, I would rather die in Dana's arms than anybody else's. And that's her quality. That's her essence. Um, her, 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 she has a, a, a funny combination of sexuality and maternal instinct, nurturing, loving, and hot at the same time. Yes. And, and if you were a 19 or 20 year old boy, 10,000 miles away from home, um, it, it, those would be the arms you'd want to die in. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not gay, but I would have wanted to die in her arms. Yeah, she, absolutely. She's hot. And the, and she was also very likable for women, too. Yeah. Helen, and so the difference between her and Helen is Helen is, doesn't have those properties that were needed in essence of the character. I agree. She could play the crap out of it, but she isn't the those that essence. Exactly. She she has a cooler demeanor, uh, more reserved, less empathetic, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, demeanor. And, and God knows what the truth is. I mean, you know, we're, we're, in the, we're in the illusion business, so who cares? Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's it's the feel of it. Whereas Helen could probably play a, a, a captain in an army, you know, like a sergeant or a captain or prosecuting attorney where Dana wouldn't be sold that way. I, I think you're quite right. And, and you know, uh, people use the term type, and I hate it. I never use it. What's your yeah, I don't type? I like that term either. Or what's your casting? I don't know. But I always I always say, what are your qualities? Yes. And, and, and how do you discover what your qualities are? Uh, how does the world treat you? Uh, this is something I've said a hundred times. So if you're, for, forgive me if you've heard it before, but, you know, if, if uh, everybody tells you their secrets, you seem trustworthy. If no one tells you your secrets, you seem untrustworthy. If a young mother is standing in front of the elevator and the door is open and you're on the elevator and she hesitates to get on the elevator with her toddler child, you seem sketchy. Yeah, there's something uh, in your energy that she's yeah. not going to want to be a part of. I truly get that. Like, um, let's talk about Aaron Sorkin for a second. I went to school with Aaron, okay? 
I know at him. The university, at Syracuse University? Yeah, that's correct. He was um, a year a year older than me. He and I used to do scenes together. I was his scene partner, which was a blessing and a curse. Because he would yell at Aaron, uh, Arthur Storch and him, would get into it, and I never got feedback because they'd end up fighting with each other. And uh, uh, he would storm out. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, genius. He's a freaking genius. But to be a scene partner was not genius. Um, uh, but cut to years later, my essence, I would never be on an Aaron Sorkin show because I'm too blue. He never hires anybody that's um, that's blue. They always look upper white middle upper white class pretty much well uh you know yeah. as brilliant as aaron is uh it's the casting that differentiates the characters because all his characters have his voice yes, uh, yes. and then, then the only way you get uh, uh the two josh and and uh, sam to be different is because sam is rob Low and 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 Josh is Brad Whitford, That's and then, right. then they start to become different because of their essence, because of their essence and their personality, and, and their and their physicality. Yes, but on the page, they both have Aaron's voice. Yes, yes, which further emphasizes essence. Um, Aaron, um, I talk to my students a lot about, and I don't know why teachers aren't teaching this, but I talk a lot about you're not going to be on television unless you watch television. You won't be in the show unless you understand genre and tone. I don't care how great of an actor you are. And in an Aaron Sorkin show, um, all the way back to Studio 60, I've seen everything because, you know, I know him, you know. Um, there's a style so if you if you don't understand how to speak Sorkin, you're not going to get the show. So yeah, I'm going to talk about genre and tone more. Uh, and well, I think a perfect that. example of that, Amy, is when ER uh, premiered. At the same time, I'm sure you remember that Chicago Hope also mm. premiered on the same night in the same time slot. We killed them, uh, but they were like People magazine. Their pilot episode, I believe, had uh, conjoined twins that needed to have a miracle surgery to separate them. Uh, and we were the daily news. We were, you know, people who didn't have private physicians who had no place else to go but the ER when something happened, when, when their kid was sick or when their pregnancy, their delivery was going crazy. Or we did stories that were... Uh, uh, you know, about regular folks. And they were doing stories about uh, irregular folks. Yeah, I think that you were the pioneer of shifting our focus from Dallas and uh, Knott's Landing, right? To something a little bit more raw and, um, and uh, eccentric and an American reality. Of I Dallas. agree completely, yeah. And and I mean I don't I think Hill Street did it, and Saint Elsewhere did it first, um, but uh, we contributed greatly to the uh, to television becoming more like life. Yes, uh, and, and and that opened the door for casting people 
who weren't so fabulous. I mean, you know, Clooney was fabulous. But did Clooney, patient, have a, did Clooney have a network deal? He had a Warner Brothers holding deal. He did. Yeah, do they do that anymore? You know, I don't think they do it quite as often now that they can get uh, uh, movie stars to do uh, stuff on cable and and on the streaming services. Yeah. And they don't have to. Yeah, no, because I know that that was a big deal back in the day. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. The holding deals. Um, I I don't know if you know this, but I was a manager for nine years. I owned uh, Gold Levin Talent and I put Adam Brody on the OC. So... Uh -huh. Back in the day, which is, let's talk back in the day for a second. Uh, more than three quarters of our day was stuffing envelopes and writing cover <laughs> letters. And, and more, and most of my day was unstuffing those same envelopes. <laughs> yes, and trying not to get killed by the staple, right? Or, or, or just paper cuts. Yes, paper cuts. And then they had the see-through envelopes. Remember those? Like actors thought that you could you'd be more interested, and then the couriers used to drop it in the front, and actors would be able to drop their pictures in a bin and right. send them in the mail. Um, so you talked in your book about having your floor filled with eight by tens, and and I want to know what do you miss about those times. Well, you know, uh, uh, I'm quite a bit of a Luddite. I've learned how to do Zoom because I've had to. Mm -hmm. And I, I, now, I now text my children since it's the only way that they'll talk to me. Um, uh, so I've learned a few things. Uh, and technology certainly is a, a great boon to convenience, efficiency, speed, all of those kinds of things. It's fantastic. But for me, and I'm old school, um, the thing I miss is the thing we're really working on, and that is the stories of human beings. And to have less human contact and less intimate human contact, and I don't mean sex, I mean the kind of live exchange that happens between ca in a casting session between actors and readers and directors and producers and writers uh, where everybody's vulnerable and hoping that their work is going to pass muster. And, and uh, you know, now um, I think it's kind of preposterous that we're trying to live in the swamp of humanity with almost no human contact. I feel you on that. I feel you on that. Uh, I don't think anybody under 35 cares, but uh, those of us who haven't seen 35 in a while um, uh, truly miss each other. And, uh, and, you know, on top of the pandemic, which isolated us all from each other so much and put us in fear of each other and the political climate, which also has us and the other, uh, as part of it, um, all yeah. of those things tend to separate us into a kind of tribal existence, a segregated existence, even though we're desperately talking about inclusion, diversity, and authenticity, 
in a weird way, we don't get to experience each other um, and and people who are different from us in in some significant way, religious, political. I you completely know. agree with you. The, there's no sit down. There's yeah. no sit down anymore. Uh, back in the day, Barbara Clayman was a big um, fan of mine. I used to sit down with her and we, she goes, Amy, come into my office. And we would smoke together, you know, we would hang out and smoke together, but she got to know me, you understand? Yeah. And so I believe, and then she threw me out on everything. She cast me in a whole bunch of stuff back in the day. And, and she knew me. Like, how do you know somebody from a, a, a computer? Like, how can you feel that? How could you know somebody if they're not in, in front of you, you know? Well, it's harder, but it is possible. Yes. Um, I'm getting to know you right now. Uh, and I think that you and Barbara got along well because you you almost are as raspy as she was. Absolutely. I loved her. She taught me a lot. Yeah, she taught me a lot as well. She was the first person who hired me in casting. Um, she was a, a extremely difficult person, um, but but you know uh, that was really part of what was exciting about working for her was that you never knew who was coming out of the office after lunch. <laughs> yeah, if she liked you, then she really liked you. You yeah. know, like you knew. And if, and if she pissed, she was pissed off at you you could hear it ringing in your ears for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was no going back. Um, that was it. You, you're you done. Uh, yeah. you, you got to step up from some really great casting directors took you under yeah. their wing, you know? What did you have? Marsha Kleiman and um, uh, who else did you work with? Phyllis, Phyllis Huffman. Phyllis Huffman, wow. Yeah, yeah. these people... They really, they really like as if like like you would help an actor. They helped you as a casting director. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Marsha was the greatest teacher of anything that I ever was under in in my life, whether it was in school or on on the football field or wherever. What was it uh, about? What was it about her that impressed you? Um, she cared about taste. She was very much in charge, but she let you cut some ice. Uh, and then she would slap you if you did something stupid or kiss you if you did something great. And, uh, you know, she, she valued the people who worked for her. And as a result, uh, you could absorb from her. And she had the best taste. I mean, and, and, uh, she was combative in, in a great way. She was an advocate. She taught me to uh, that it was okay to say what you thought, uh, even if you didn't get your way. You, 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 you went down swinging in a way, or you went down caring in a way. And, and uh, sometimes, oh, I mean... That, was, that makes you part of the process, you know. Exactly. The network that, that's, really, that's the best way of saying it. She included me. Yeah. She included you as part of the entire process. And, and therefore, she got, she got benefit of me. Yeah. You know, other people, Barbara Clayman was a, a, 
much more of an autocrat. And so she didn't get as much contribution from me as Marsha did. Um, Which is what made Marsha a great teacher. Okay. So that's that's the difference. There's um, somebody that just takes you on and then somebody that shows you the way. And so I think that's what Marsha did for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I loved her. She also, uh, was a big collector of uh, modern American art, and including Cindy Sherman's early photographs that she bought. And she had some paintings that were in Mo- MoMA, I think, that were part of her collection when she died. I think yeah. they may still be there. Uh, I don't know for sure. But so she 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 taught me the the value of getting interested in stuff you weren't naturally interested in. Uh, and broadening your, you know, it's like uh, you grew up in the deli. Uh, go have Indian food, you know. If you if you like if you like baseball, go to the opera. Uh, pretty much that was that's the contribution Marsha gave to me, which was I love that. she was like you know, round yourself out, care about something you don't care about, learn something you you have no aptitude for, respect the guy who's fixing your car. Because he has a skill you are willing to pay for because you don't have it. I love that. I love that. She sounds like she was an incredible um, guide for you. You know? That's great. Yeah. Um, let's, it's a couple of things that I really want to ask you about. Um, I want to talk about complexity of character. Um, it takes a creative mind to make um, something that's, uh, magic out of what is invisible is what you said. Um, can you speak to that? Did I say that? God, that yeah, see so how genius you are. That was really that, good. That sounds so much smarter than I am. Yeah, you're really smart. Um, I okay, and then like like to say what that that what isn't said. I I am continually telling my actors that are auditioning for um, streaming shows and feature films of AMC and FX, depending on the network, to listen and slow down, and it's okay in the silence. Oh, God, yeah. We always say, uh, Wells and I have said over the years, wow, not only did she read the hell out of that scene, but she was participating in the ancient art of listening. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, that is uh, the silences. I mean, you know, go back to the playwrights of uh, like like Albie and Pinter. Uh, uh, they choreographed the pauses, even to the point of the length of the pauses. Um, and then, and then you, as an artist, have the responsibility of filling that with something with what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're connected to. And the wonderful thing about uh, film and television is that you don't have to play to the fifth balcony. The, the mic and the camera will find you and reveal you. And they'll reveal if you're not thinking anything except waiting for your next line. Um, you know, uh, uh, filling those silences with your thoughts and your feelings and your connections is really where the magic of acting is. Um, Anybody can say, I love you and sort of mean it. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a, a bunch a bunch of times. Yeah, and they, they sort of meant it. They sort of meant it. <laughs> um, yeah, I I um I talk to my students a lot about punctuation. Mm. Um, uh, but that's how the character speaks, and within that, and a lot of them come from the school of throwing out punctuation, and I'm like, uh, the character has to come first. And then, sure. and then there's you. And so if, if you keep putting yourself first, you're going to sound like you and everything. And I'm never going to see the character. Yeah. Well, there, there are some actors, even some stars oh. that do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then there are the best actors. You, you mentioned Sean. And, and uh, the thing about Sean is that he's a character actor. He happens to be a handsome man. But but he, he uh, immerses himself in the circumstances and the psychology uh, of the the state of being the the emotional reality of the character, and then he finds ways to draw on himself uh, and his technique. You know, uh, uh, as you well know, actors have their essence, their bodies, their voices, and their training their experiences, and their imagination, and not much else. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, when I say not much else, I'm not saying it isn't enough, but I'm saying you have to have the ability and the willingness to access your training, your imagination, your experiences, your body, and your voice. Well, I think that a lot of actors don't realize that their whole being is actually an emotional instrument. And yeah. spend a lot of time on action or stuff that puts them in their head. And they don't spend enough time on where the emotions are located within their body so they can yeah. play their own instrument. Yeah, well, and, and, and I, I, in the moment. I yeah, I completely agree. And it, 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 actors, I think, are unique among artists because they are both the instrument and the player yes. of that instrument. You know, but piano players have 88 keys, and if they're in tune, you can reliably touch them, and they'll make a certain sound. Painters have a palette and an easel of one kind or another, a canvas. Photographers have the instrument, and they can learn to manipulate it. Every other kind of artist has um, some external uh, thing which they have to learn how to play. But with our artists, the artists that we're interacting with, they're both. They are both. And I tell people till I'm blue in the face, ad nauseum, I don't care if you're off book. I care if you're the character. And if yeah, you I, I, I mean, I think it's time. important to memorize things for auditions. And obviously when you do them, you know Aaron Sorkin. If you say the wrong word, you're dead in the well, water. You will, you will be off book if you take the time to understand what you're saying. Yeah. So it's the first thing you have to memorize is the internal, emotional, and intellectual needs that yes. the characters have in in each beat of the scene. That's correct. And if you, and then then the words will follow with Naturally. a lot of. They will yeah. flow naturally. Um, one of my guidelines is guideline 10, which is 
How do I hear what the other character says from my character's point of view? And that's actively listening from your point of view. Yeah. Which is life, right? And I feel a lot of actors, they're so focused on not on getting it right that if they would be focused on what's coming at them, yeah. it would be more in the scene. My first acting teacher, uh, who uh, sadly was not able to penetrate my not knowing much about myself and not being free enough, mm -hmm. um, he always used to say, your performance is over there. Not, not, not here, over there. Uh, with who you're talking to mm -hmm. uh, and, and what they're saying. And then they, we used to do a hopelessly stupid exercise where we would have a small pillow and we would toss it to each other. And, you know, the idea was watch it while it's in the air, catch it, receive what it was, decide what you were going to do about it, and, and then, toss it back. And then throw it back. And then a dialogue it, it involves all of that yes. catching and assessing and planning and reacting and hearing and receiving all of that. And, and uh, that's hard to do, say, in a Sorkin piece because it, it demands that pace. You just have to do it faster. So that's yeah, you, so, so you got to do it. You just got to do it faster. So when you're studying, you have to study with the pace. So I always tell people to study your transitions. Stop studying your lines. Study your yeah. transitions. Because a, yeah. a great skater, a great, because I always, talk about being an Olympic actor and what that's about. And it's effortlessly going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and based on who the writer is, you have to go at that pace. So study at that pace. Don't just sit yeah. down and study. And then you think all of a sudden it's going to show up. Uh, it's not yeah. always, it's not going to show up. Um, you have to study that way. So I think a lot of actors don't have the right homework protocol. Yeah, I think that's probably true. That's the preparation, uh, and and if you prepare, you know, in and and I'm a bit of a cook. Uh, if you if you prepare, you know, you cut up everything and you do your mise en place, and you uh, you you have you know what you where the onions are going to go into the pot and when the you know fish is going to how long and all that, and you have that the beets planned, it'll yeah. come out good. Exactly, because it goes under the heading of knowing what you're doing. Yeah, preparation. Yeah, planning. Planning. Knowing, but not not planning in the sense of guiding the river or knowing what the right. You know, I've got. Oh shit! I gotta cry here. No, if you understand and you've and you've uh, rehearsed the plan. It's time to let it go. Yeah. Yep. Like, see what happens. Trust in your plan. And, and trust in your imagination and your training and all yes. of that. Yes. And then stuff will happen that you didn't even plan, which is when the exciting stuff happens is what you do. Absolutely. We, we used to, uh, there was a, an exercise, another exercise in the early acting classes that I did where they said, do it wrong. You know, like, yeah, like answer, answer the phone wrong. Uh, remember when Marlon Brando turned a chair around and sat on it like it was, either a lover or a horse or something yeah. other than a chair. And, and, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to sit in a chair. Your mom told you to 
sit up straight and with your back against the back and your butt against the seat and you know but it, then there's a there's a more interesting way to to tell something about you uh to find a way to do it wrong well that that moves into the physical too i believe that you know, in England, they go from the physical to the interior. We go from the interior to the physical. I think it needs to be a lot of both. Um, I don't. Well, I mean, as I know, I know yeah. actors who have a hundred pairs of shoes, and one of their most important parts of their preparation is which shoes to put on. Absolutely. In one pair of shoes, they their whole body changes. Absolutely. Compared to another one. I know actors who, you know, who aren't going to take their clothes off, but who wear their red underpants uh, for for a flirty scene because it makes them connect to their red underpants. I want to see that. I want to see those red underpants. Nowadays, nowadays you see everything. I know. Um, uh, Let's. uh, We have. We also have Dennis Cockrum, who I love. Yeah, me too. Yeah, love him. I played his wife in a show called Eagle Heart. He's just incredible. And he played. Uh, he played a, a, the only person in the world who's worse than Frank Gallagher on Shameless. <laughs> yeah, which is that's hard to say, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the guy but, was. But, you know, what, what's wonderful is that uh, he, he's a lovely man. Oh, and so, so he nice. was able to access uh, that that blue, racist, anti-Semitic, gay-bashing, violent piece of shit. Yeah. And be, and be none of that. Well, then that's why God gave you an imagination. Exactly. And, you know, if you're, I always tell people, if you're a prostitute, it's really hard to play one. Because it's just too close, you know? So, <laughs> you know. So you're from the Bronx? I grew up in Riverdale in the Bronx, but you know. I lived in Riverdale. You when did? I was a child, yeah. When I was a child, I lived in Riverdale. Uh, I went to the Fieldston School in Riverdale, mm-hmm. and I lived around the corner from the Riverdale Country Day School. And where did, did you live there your whole childhood? When did you move? Uh, I lived in Riverdale my entire childhood, and then um, after my parents separated, um, then my mom got a Fulbright fellowship. She was a scientist and she went to Africa at the same time that I went to college. Wow. So, uh, uh, there was no, no, uh, no going home at Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you were like an orphan. Did you go to, right. did you go to other people's houses? Like I did. Roommates, you know, I made, I made friends. Yes. Very fast. <laughs> You're like, Hey, what are you doing Thanksgiving? <laughs> Okay, I'm John Frank Levy. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I was a kid, we used to go down to Pittman Avenue in the Bronx and get uh, nickel bags, and it was like a, a little. Um, it was a. It was like a, a candy store. We uh-huh. drove down there from New Rochelle. I grew up in New Rochelle. Uh-huh. And we used to drive down there and just get a nickel bag, and then. At that time, joints were like a dollar a joint, you know. I don't even know what it is now because I don't smoke anymore. But, but that's and then. It's, but I lived in Riverdale until my family moved to um, New Rochelle. Well, there we have all that in common. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, is there anything that you want to talk about um, 
about like why you wrote the book or or where you are now and what you're working on? Sure. Um, you know, I wrote the book. I did a podcast for another acting teacher in town. And after we talked for whatever amount of time it was, she said, God, your stories are so funny and smart and good. And they could, really would be beneficial to actors and also to other people. You should write a book. And I said, oh, for Christ's sake, shut up. Um, How did you meet Judy? What? How did you meet Trudy? She's a friend of mine. I told oh, you, she a is? lot of friends in common. And yeah, well, I also I, know I, Jeff Gober. Trudy had uh, uh, written a book with this acting teacher that I'm referencing, uh, and and uh, so uh, Sherry Shaw is who I'm talking oh, about. I know she, Sherry, yeah. She introduced me to Trudy, who had helped her with her book, and uh, you know it was the height of the pandemic, so we didn't meet for quite a while, but. Um, she gave me the assignment of uh, typing an email memory at least once a day, and and I caught fire. I just started remembering stuff. Uh, one memory really begat ten others, and I sent her a lot of emails every day. Eventually, we met, and she recorded, interviewed me, and recorded things, and then we talked about structure and uh, decided to do it sort of chronologically by my life and then by shows. And um, and at a certain point, she said something along the lines of, you know, if you want people to care about what we're creating here, you're going to have to be willing to reveal more personal stuff. Mm. And I'm a very private guy. I, I, I'm not a big schmoozer. I, I don't, I haven't had lunch with agents and managers more than maybe 20 times in 35 years. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I'm just not, I'm not that public. And so it was hard for me to be willing to do that. Um, but I, I did. And I think uh, the best compliments that I've gotten about the book from people who know me, friends, family, is that the book reads like sitting around talking to me. Ah. And, and, and I think Trudy really found my voice and uh, was able to capture it. Uh, and, and therefore my opinions and thoughts and observations and experiences got more resonance than I expected. Um, uh, she, you know, there'd be no book without Trudy Roth. Yeah. She's and, very and the best part about that is that I have a new really good friend. She's a really good person, like a, like a really good person. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. and it, it completely reads in the way she approaches, uh, the way she approached me. Yeah, the layout is really good. The layout, yeah. easy read, um, and it takes you on a journey, which is great, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing... A lot the of people other thing, don't know Hollywood. I think it educates them about Hollywood, to tell you the truth. You know, as somebody who isn't in Hollywood at all read it, a guy who lives in Santa Fe, who's an archaeologist and a, a family friend of my longtime partner, Karen Cease. And uh, he ordered the book and read it. And uh, his wife called Karen and said uh, that, that he really loved it because it wasn't a bitch off and Hollywood 
tell-all and that it yeah. made, that it made Hollywood seem like a nice place. And that's the other part of the book that I that I always want to stress, and that is that I found my role in a community of people who believe in and value respect and collaboration and uh, uh, empowering each other, trusting each other to do their part. And that, that if we create community and respect and collaboration, we can make something that's better than the sum of our parts. And, and I've had an opportunity to do that a, a lot of times in my professional life. And that is an outgrowth of my sort of hippie youth um, because I, I believed in that. I believed in that on the basketball team in high school. I believed in that in the theater communities that I was a part in. Um, you know, it's not a new idea, but teamwork, collaboration and community and mutual respect are the avenue towards excellence. I could not agree with you more. Absolutely. And, and not everybody gets to be the quarterback, you know, or the leader or the one who it's named after. Uh, but, but if you're lucky, or maybe it's more than luck, uh, but you find the role that you're right for, the role that allows you to maximize your contribution, that is damn good fortune. <laughs> We're going to end it there because that was just freaking brilliant. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate it. So if you really believe you're enough, then you will click that button and you will go to the store and get involved. I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make them drink. I have uh, promo codes available if you DM me and follow me on Instagram. Take care and I will see you soon. Share with a friend. 